Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. As listeners of our podcast know and listeners of our show know, each and every week the Jewish community reads a pre-assigned section of the Torah known as the Pentateuch or the Five Books of Moses. Our readings these weeks as we um, finish February and enter into March are from the book of Exodus. This week, the Jewish community will be reading from Exodus 35 through Exodus 38. The weekly portion is known as Vayikahel. Um, There is also this week the notion that this Shabbat is called Shmini, and if I have an opportunity, I might chat with my guest about it. Let me introduce you, our listeners, to an overview of this week's Torah portion before we discuss it in depth. This week, Moses assembles the people of Israel and reiterates to them the commandments to observe the Shabbat. And in particular, um, the Torah portion says to us, and I quote, On six days work may be done, but the seventh day they should observe a Sabbath for God by refraining from work. Whoever does work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your settlements on the Sabbath day. Um, And then it goes on to uh, Moses conveys to the people God's instructions regarding the making of the Mishkan, or the tabernacle. The people donate required materials in abundance, bringing gold, silver, blue, copper, dyed wool, goat hair, spun linen, animal skins, wood, olive oil, herbs, and precious stones. And they bring so much that Moses has to tell them to stop giving. A team of artisans make the Mishkan and its furnishings. And much of what we read in this week's Torah portion was revealed to us in the previous three Torah portions known as Terumah, Titzaveh, and Kitisah. We're, of course, reminded that we should have layers of roof coverings and 48 gold-plated wall panels, and 100 silver foundation sockets. The parochet, the veil, that separates between the sanctuary's two chambers and the masach, screen that fronts it. The ark, uh, and it's covered with the cherubim, the table and its showbread, and other uh, aspects of the Uh, tabernacle are described in great detail. Though we have discussed aspects of this building of the Mishkan before, my guest this morning is Rabbi Daniel Michaelberg of Temple Israel in Ottawa, Canada, and I am sure that he will bring a different perspective to it. Rabbi Michaelberg is a Canadian by birth, and grew up in Vancouver. 
and he had the wonderful pleasure and joy of finishing rabbinical school and returning to his home congregation, Temple uh, Shalom, in Vancouver as an assistant. Later on, he uh, moved to Toronto and served as an associate rabbi at Temple uh, Sinai, um, and did that for eight years. Um, Three years ago, just in time for the pandemic, uh, Rabbi Michael Berg and his family moved to Ottawa to serve as the rabbi of Temple Israel. It's a joy to uh, speak with you today, Rabbi Michael Berg, and thank you for joining with me. Oh, it's a privilege to be the... here. I usually come on Thanksgiving, so it's very unusual to, to be here with so much <laughs> snow. Uh, yes, Rabbi Michael Berg often speaks and about the parasha that comes on the American Thanksgiving, because American rabbis are all too consumed with turkey and the accoutrements uh, to uh, share some thoughts with us. So I want to thank him uh, for being with us uh, this morning. Um, so Rabbi Michael Berg, um, as I indicated to our listeners, so much of this is repetitive of previous Torah portions. But what's not as repetitive is how this Torah portion begins, with a reminder of Shabbat and specifically singles out the notion of fire. So let's begin with this notion of Shabbat and why um, readers of this Torah portion should not think that this is simply another reminder, which we've seen numerous times, beginning with the Aserata de Brot, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 15. Sure. So, Rabbi Garden, what a privilege to, uh, to, to be here and to look at this parasha in conversation with you. Um, I have a hunch that the, just the first couple of lines, these first three verses, will keep us busy for a little while. Um, as you mentioned, these, these first words, they speak to God taking a rest. They speak to the importance of Shabbat. And really, in a parallel manner, we have the opportunity to reflect on the importance of Shabbat in our own lives. I want to take us all the way back to, to, to Genesis, to the opening words of, uh, of, of the Torah that speak about God creating the world in six days and then God resting. We have a parallel experience as we now look to the Israelites in the wilderness in that they create this tabernacle, this mishkan, this sacred dwelling place for God, also in six days, and then they rest. It demands our attention, this six plus one. It demands our attention, this culmination in this Shabbat, in this unique day that is unlike all the others. We could learn from this how we reflect godliness. We can learn from this the importance of time. And we really come out of this with a great appreciation for the role that Shabbat plays. Just a couple notes. As again, as we go back to Genesis, but now continue with these words uh, from our Torah portion this week, we're reminded it's our tendency to keep busy, really busy whether it's with our work or with an assortment of other activities, 
It's important, as we know, that this busyness is meaningful, that it has purpose. We might even think about this work, whether it's literal work or a variety of activities, as acts of creation. And we remind ourselves with the early words of Torah that God creates, thereby making that which is new. And here we see in this week's Torah portion um, the potential for us too uh, to be able to uh, to be able to create, to create that which is new. In this case, culminating in this tent, in this sacred tabernacle, this dwelling place for God, uh, where God will dwell. However, we're also cautioned. Even with this important task, we need a break. We need a pause. We need a Shabbat. And if we don't take that Shabbat, there are consequences. It becomes monotonous. Maybe we could say time becomes blurry. We become exhausted and tired. How interesting that even God, even the ultimate, needs a break. And as we look to these words, I'll, I'll, I'll read the uh, verse 3, 35 verse 3. You shall kindle no fire throughout your settlement on the Shabbat day. So this refraining from kindling from fire, it's come to represent the Shabbat experience, something different than the other six days, something holy, something unique, and today something definitely worthy of conversation. Perhaps somewhere for us to begin is thinking about the fire in itself. What is symbolic of the fire? What does the fire represent? Um, what are we yearning to get from this fire, perhaps more importantly, from refraining from this fire? And Rabbi, should I continue, or do you want to maybe share a, a bit about your thoughts well, on the fire? Well, thank you. I mean, that's a wonderful introduction to our conversation. Um, you alluded to this parallelism between six days of creation and the six days of work that are done on the tabernacle. Um, I'm wondering if you think that this um, building of the tabernacle, um, which may have taken place over more than six days, but the Torah seems to suggest the parallelism, is somehow the Torah's um, expression of the actualization of um, the notion that we are created in God's image. And that as God created the world, um, and therefore, as you so eloquently stated, God needed to rest, we too have this task to create. Is this parallelism intentional, or is it simply part of the rabbinic lore? Um, and the rabbinic uh, world of interpretation. Uh, I, I would argue that it's very intentional. One of, one of the things that we look at is um, in Torah is that every word, every letter, even every pause has significance. And so how interesting to note this six plus one phenomenon um, culminating in seven, um, really speaking to our sense of what do these two experiences have in common? Uh, both of these experiences would have happened in formative periods, uh, periods of new beginning, periods of transformation, which actually also alludes to the fire, and we think about our, our various uses of, uh, of fire. How powerful 
to uh, to think about God's work uh, as we re- as we reflect on the progressive steps on the evolution of uh, of the world coming to be, and thinking about our own actions in the same way, recognizing that that which we do can build upon one another, can take us from here to there, uh, can foster this work of creation, can exhibit holiness and power. In the, in, in the same way that God does, as a way to exhibit um, our unique abilities as humanity. So there's one clause before we speak about fire that may uh, bother our listeners if they read it. Um, Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. Um, now the Torah um, certainly uh, is very direct. There is really no ambivalence in the Hebrew about death. But why do you think, or how have you taught your learners? Um, what was the intention of the Torah? in saying that if you worked on Shabbat, the only uh, possible um, consequence was death. Is that a metaphoric death? Is it a singular death? Um, Certainly there have been fundamentalist um, readers of Torah who thought not only Jews, but subsequent readers of Torah who um, interpreted this uh, literally and punish people um, with this. But how do you teach this kind of conversation of um, consequence of death for violating Shabbat? And then we'll move on to fire and its various meanings, which of course on Shabbat are very essential. So in short, sometimes I talk about how Judaism itself has evolved and how as we look to the words of the ancient Near East, as we look to our biblical texts, very much God speaks with wrath, and it's the language of threats, um, very much holding consequences uh, for the people if they don't follow this very prescribed pathway. I often talk about how Judaism has evolved in very different directions, certainly in our liberal practices, and that we're going to be more successful if we look to inspire practices rather than threaten the consequences if we don't follow them. But what I also will share is that often as I look to these initial words of God instructing the Israelites, they parallel the words that we might use to um, instruct a young child. If you taunt your sister, I will send you to your room. Um, But later on, recognizing that those same words um, need to be finessed, um, there's a maturity that, uh, that can go along with more sophisticated instructions and less so emphasizing the punishment, rather emphasizing the potential reward. There are many instances in our biblical texts that speak about threats that go as far as death. Um, I don't think it's helpful for us to think about our actions as leading to such dire consequences but rather as we look to these words to recognize that they're important, to really push, to try to understand um, why are they being emphasized in this way, and perhaps seeing the future benefits 
um, rather than the uh, potential cough. <laughs> I've often thought when I've read the Hebrew, um, which says, Kol ha'oseb bo melacha yumat. Is it possible that even the uh, biblical writer meant it in a more spiritualized way? Wow. That if Shabbat is intended, and if, if Shabbat is intended to be our ultimate um, expression of the divine spark in us, and it's the moment of spiritual elevation um, as we reach to be similar to God, we're not able to be God, then Yumat is uh, obviously both the physical death, but perhaps the Torah was um, suggesting to us that we would in fact lose each of the steps up the ladder that we had accrued as we rested on this day. Um, well, I of course, it, that's a rabbinic interpretation rather than perhaps the literal meaning, um, but yumat certainly is uh, um, a, a, a term that has the double entendre in this case. And, and let me ask a more, even a more modern question. What does it mean to live? And perhaps we're not looking, intended to look at this in a literal way as to breathe. Um, rather, we're lo- meant to look at this as, are our actions uh, meaningful and purposeful? Um, are they running us into the ground? Are, are we taking the um, intended pause to recognize the importance of time? Um, uh, there have been a lot of talk about being a workaholic and not taking a break, and without that balance, um, losing um, one's purpose and one's drive. And so perhaps we're meant to take this more um, spiritually or metaphorically to uh, to think about how we live our days and how we can make the most of our days and how we make sure to put the right amount of uh, of space where needed. Um, the beauty of Torah is that it engenders this conversation. In just a few um, brief uh, pasukim verses, we have discussed our relationship with the divine. We've discussed how we might um, manifest the godliness um, within us. We've discussed what is the meaning of life, what um, determines a, a full life, what determines our humanity. Um, even if the Torah seems to be so uh, literal, um, it calls upon us to expand. Um, that's what makes it an eternal document. Uh, that's what makes it a sacred document for the Jewish people and for others who read it that way. In the beginning, not in Genesis, but in the beginning of our conversation this morning, um, you indicated that, and you read verse 3 for us. Um, you shall kindle no fire throughout your settlements on the Sabbath day, which seems to be the seal on the conversation in this week's parasha concerning um, Shabbat. 
And I know you wanted to kind of unpack the notion of fire and why this is singled out. So please, why don't you share with our listeners? So I would suggest that fire is one of the most powerful symbols in, uh, in Torah, actually right alongside water, which we can talk about another day. Um, if we think about what is it about fire? So on the one hand, fire is a source of warmth. Fire is something that we look to as a source of nurturing. Um, fire is inspiring. However, we ought not forget that there's another side to fire. Fire is dangerous. Fire is potentially destructive. Fire can cause tremendous pain. And as we think to the literal nature of fire, these aspects are, are not unique to, uh, to biblical times. They certainly continue to this day. Uh, we're coming out of a summer where the forest fires were absolutely horrendous in, um, in this country. We're reminded that as we think about fire, we need to channel it appropriately. We need to ensure that it's not overpowering. I might even suggest that a moment ago we were talking about how we use time. We could perhaps think about fire in the same way. How are we sensitive? How are we cautious? How do we make sure that uh, fire is a, a, a product of a, a blessing rather than curse? And so as we look to these words, in particular this prohibition of fire on Shabbat, we're called to reflect on how do we use fire. In fact, sparks, sparks are one of our earliest um, senses of, uh, of, of wonder. And really this notion of making fire, um, it is powerful, it is mysterious. Some might even suggest it's of divine origin. And as I was preparing to today, I looked to the Plout commentary, uh, to, to Rabbi Gunther Plout, who speaks about fire as being a means to behold God. And at, let's think back to all the various instances of, uh, of fire um, earlier in the Torah. Uh, perhaps most obvious, the burning bush, an opportunity for Moses to witness God in the fire. Later on, Moses will receive Torah um, from fire. If we're looking at a more contemporary setting, we use fire for Shabbat candles. There are also instances, though, of fire being used in a not-so-good way. We just read the portion of the golden calf, and we're reminded how fire was used to melt the gold um, to make this idol a source of great um, wrath. And so we're, we're, we're challenged to, uh, to, to think about the various settings that fire is used. And here we're reminded, take a break. Pause from the fire. Fire is transformative. Fire is powerful. But fire can't be used um, infinitely. Um, it's important to, um, to pause. In the traditional sense, um, our, our Orthodox friends have taken this uh, such verses um, to imply a prohibition on things like electricity, on things like driving, on using lights, um, seeing this as central to their Shabbat experience. As we think about our liberal, literal, liberal experience, we, we don't take fire as literally and, and don't refrain from such, um, from such actions, but we still have an opportunity to use this metaphorical fire to, uh, to think about our various drives, Again, to think about when we need to pause, to make sure we never lose sight of, uh, of the various resources that are before our eyes. And perhaps we become even centered to recognize the mystery and the holiness in the fire. So 
in this beautiful um, exposition on the power of fire, you um, mentioned that um, fire becomes um, a primary symbol of Shabbat, even though we're forbidden to. And I would remind our listeners that um, the traditional um, and normative welcoming of Shabbat includes the kindling of two tapers. Um, It can be more, but usually at least two. And the conclusion of Shabbat at a ceremony known as Havdalah includes a braided candle being kindled. And I'm wondering if you can help our listeners understand why, and this would be a later addition to Jewish expressions of spirituality and of meaning, but why, even though we have this powerful prohibition against lighting, uh, fire, um, Jewish tradition has incorporated the lighting of fire as an essential component of Shabbat. So we're reminded as we think about our Shabbat rituals and our holiday rituals, actually, and the various secular rituals around candles, that fire is transformative. We often use it at life cycle events or on sacred days, both to enter into sacred space as well as to leave. And so we're reminded as we kindle Shabbat candles on the Friday Eve, that as we kindle this last spark, this is a chance for us to leave behind the stressors of the week and to enter into something new. So, of course, this Shabbat is not infinite. This Shabbat is about 25 hours long. And so we also light a candle at the end as we're leaving this space behind. Perhaps it's also an opportunity as we think about the braided Havdalah candle, sometimes it's, it's, um, it's spoken to as a torch of sorts. And so as we think about the torch and perhaps think about ah, more earlier days, we're reminded that the torch can be a labor of, of work. And so how will we continue to shine light? How will we continue to use our light to the best of our abilities? How will we create um, now that we are recharged, now that we are in, um, in a better place, having emerged from the Shabbat? We don't have much time left for our conversation this morning, but in the 90 seconds we have, I'm wondering if you could help our listeners understand um, why it is that the Torah says the Israelites brought too many gifts and God had to tell them to stop. So I would actually connect it to these verses and that it's all about balance. It's all about moderation. It's all about sometimes recalibrating. Here, the Israelites took their, uh, took their um, instruction too seriously, too enthusiastically. Um, perhaps it became a show. Perhaps they didn't realize that they were giving to such excess that they were leaving themselves with um, too little. Um, perhaps their intention was lost. And often what we're, what we're reminded in these verses is to be purposeful, to be thoughtful, to be as best intended as we can. And so as we look to those verses about giving, we're not called to, to give of everything. We're not called to leave ourselves in, uh, in rags and in poverty. 
Rather, we're intended to balance our, our calls of tzedakah, of giving. Um, and at the same time, we're, we're, we're called to enjoy. In, in this case, we're called to enjoy um, a Shabbat, a time, um, our purposeful experiences, the light, the blessings that are all around. I want to thank you for that, because I think in the few seconds that I gave you, you encapsulated it wonderfully. My guest this morning has been Rabbi Daniel Michaelberg of Temple Israel, Ottawa, Canada. He's helped us understand the power of Shabbat and the power of light. Um, you can hear a podcast of our conversation on iTunes or the chri.ca website. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing you a good morning and shalom. Take care, everybody.